which um, you got married. Uh, maybe it was the day in which uh, you had that perfect date. Um, maybe it was the day you passed that test or got into law school or med school. Or, or, or maybe it was the day in, in which um, you made the team. You wanted so desperately to make the team and, and you actually made it. Or, or maybe if really competitive, you've, you're into sports, you, you made the winning shot. You know, what was it that really, that really made the difference? Maybe it was the, the day you, you met uh, your wife-to-be or your, your husband-to-be. Well, what was the day was the best day ever? Uh, maybe, it was, maybe, it was, maybe it was meeting me. I, I know, what, what, was the best day, what was the best day ever, you know? Maybe it's, maybe it's the day you quit meeting me. I don't know, whatever it is. But, you know, what's the best day ever? Maybe it's the birth of your child, first child, or your second child. Or in our case, third child and fourth child. Or, or maybe it's, it's the birth of your grandchild. I, I saw on Facebook earlier this morning, I was up uh, just looking at some things, and, and they just discovered that, that Hannah has, has, uh, has now expressed her ability to communicate with people she recognizes. Now, they got it a little bit wrong on, on the Facebook. They said Dada, but I'm sure it was Grandpa. All right, So uh, you know, that day when they, you know, all of a sudden that one you care about so much recognizes you and cares about you. What, what's the best day ever? Well, as we think about the things we have opportunity to experience on, on this life, there are so many ways to experience special days or good days or even what we might, at least for a moment, describe as our best day. But what we want to talk, and we've already heard from Noel, that there, there's something beyond just a momentary experience because what happens is no matter how good it gets, it, that, 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 that moment leaves us and, and then life happens. In fact, it continues to happen. And often after a while, you begin, well, what, what's next? What, what's going to be the next thrill? What's the, what's the next experience where my you know, adrenaline is going to be like pumped up and I'm just so into it? Well, Jesus came for us to recognize that there is something beyond this life. And that's why Jesus came. If you have your outline this morning, we're going we're gonna to race through some things because it, this is such a great day. There's so many things we could say. But, but I'm going to try to keep it simple and straightforward because really it's the simple things in life that really make a difference, isn't it? All the things that sometimes preoccupy us and get us distracted, but it's, it's about the people we know. It's the experiences that become very unique and special to us. Why is this the best day ever? Uh, because if you, if you look at the account of the stories about Jesus, and we have four gospel accounts, and the word gospel simply means good news, is we have the experience of the women coming, coming to the, the place where they laid Jesus. And what's significant about that is because it was the ladies who went there first. And men, we, you know, we don't look too good in that first story. I mean, the men were the cowards and the, and the women went to the grave. And they're expecting to see Jesus and give honor to him. But when they went to the, the grave, the, the tomb, the, the, the stone had been rolled away and, and the tomb was empty. And God miraculously sent his angels and said, uh, why are you seeking the, uh, the living among the dead. Jesus is alive. He is risen just as he said he was going to, to do. He said he was going to go to the cross and he'd be crucified, but then three days later, he would have conquered death. You know, man's greatest question is, what, what happens after this life? And the best day ever when there's an answer to that. What happened on this Sunday is Jesus rose. And as we think about Jesus rising from the dead, it, it really is the message of why we're here. There's a message for us. 
The Bible says very plainly that, that Jesus saves. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's an account, in fact, one of the earliest accounts of, of a story behind the story. It said that this was of first importance, that, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was, he was buried, then He was risen from the dead. And, and then to prove that it wasn't just wishful thinking, that we wanted this to happen, He, he appeared to one of His disciples, Peter. Then after that, he appeared to the rest of the 11. And after that, more than 500 people. This wasn't some hallucination. This was a, a physical manifestation of one who had risen from the dead. And it didn't happen just a day here and a day there. It was after 40 days. Now, now the message of, of Easter is this is the best day ever. But as we think about this true story, I want you to understand this is, this is good news, bad news. And I won't bore you with good news, bad news stories, but we've heard those, haven't we? You, know, you want to hear the good news, you want to hear the bad news. But actually, you could heighten this to, because it's not just good news, bad news. It's best news and worst news. And so as I was praying about this Sunday, as we celebrate, there's so many different ways to talk about Easter resurrection. I, I wanted to simply answer the question, what, what does it mean that Jesus saved? If you go to L.A., you can, you can go down this kind of hotel where it used to be a church, and there's a big sign up there that says, Jesus saves. What does that mean? I've got two simple things to share with you this morning. When we think about Jesus saving, and the word save, if you want to get it out of the religious language, it means to be rescued or delivered. Jesus saves us from something and he also saves us to something. And, and this day will not be the best day for you unless you, you get in on it. Just as the girl from the math class pestered Noel to come to hear about the good news, it, that good news became the best news. And particularly as she was on that table at age 28 and began to, to focus in, well, what does this really mean for me to live the best day ever. We're going to be talking about what Jesus saves us from and what Jesus saves us to. And on this day in which we gather together, it's interesting. I was, I was reading a, a pollster, and we have all kinds of pollsters. They're, they're people who try to get the, the pulse of people and what they think or believe or feel about anything in our, in our world today. But this is a religious a poll, and, and it kind of described, uh, well, what is the state of people in relationship to the Jesus of Easter. And Ed Stetzer, he came up with this statistic. He said, you know, if you really examine people in America, he said, oh, really, if you define really being a true Christian as someone who has something that they've experienced that has reality to it and it's changed their lives, his statistic said there's really only one out of five Americans who are truly people who, who got in on Easter, that have really given their lives completely and fully to him. And then he gives the sobering, you know, obvious other side of that coin is, if only one of five people have really committed to Christ and have a real life-changing experience with Jesus, that means four out of five people don't. What has Jesus saved us from and what does Jesus want to save us to? First of all, what Jesus wants to save us from, he, he wants to save us from hell. You know, 
it, it used to be that, that as people thought about church, they thought every time you went to church, they always talked about hell, fire, and brimstone. I mean, that, that, was, the, that was the sermon given every single week. Well, that's probably not the case in the vast majority of churches that you go to. And that's not true here. We, I don't talk about hell, fire, and brimstone every week. In fact, probably rarely do I talk about specifically hell and fire and brimstone. But, but on the best day ever, we need to recognize, why is this the best day ever? Because that's what he's rescuing us, delivering us, saving us from. And, and let me just say this by way of qualifying this a little bit. Is, again, as pollsters will poll just about anything. In, in America, they've asked the question, how many of you actually believe in hell? And I'm a little surprised by this, but the, the, the latest, latest result I heard is that 75% of Americans believe in hell. So, so for many of you, I, I'm talking to you about things you believe in or something you believe in. You believe in hell. The, the interesting thing about that statistic is those 75% of people in America, this is not true around the world, but 75% of people in America believe in hell. Only 4% of Americans believe there's any chance whatsoever that they're going to go there. That, that doesn't sound exactly how Jesus portrayed it. He said that... that uh, Many are called, but, but few are chosen. There's a, there's a narrow path, and very few people choose to go down that path. And, and sometimes we don't make that choice, and sometimes we make choices by neglect rather than by design. And there's some things like, oh, oh I forgot to do that, and forgetting to do it has already made that decision for me. We don't think how important it is to make sure the most important things are done. And so this morning, I, 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 want, I want to talk about what you can be saved from, and then whatever time we have left, I'll talk about what we can save to. God, God wants us, and I want to make sure that you understand this is good news because God doesn't want you to go there. And, and I want you to be very clear. I don't want you to go there. Everyone in this church who, who knows Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to that place that God has designed for people who don't want to embrace him. He wants to save us from hell. What is hell? And, and we, could, we could make this a sermon series, but let's just kind of hit the highlights here, if you can call it, talking about hell highlights. Hell. Hell is a place of everlasting punishment from the presence of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those. And, and you think about it, this is a place where, where God is unleashing his anger and wrath on those people who are going to be inhabiting this place that he has designed for people who do not want to embrace him. In fact, this is what we need to understand very clearly from this text. It says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who, who are going to be people populating this place. People who do not know God. Now, why is it that out of the 75% of people in America who believe there is a hell, only 4% believe they're not going there, or there's no chance whatsoever that they're going to go there? Why do 71% of people feel they're going to escape hell? Because somehow we look at hell being a place where I know I'm not going there because I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than what? Most people. And so if God grades on the curve, I'm sure I'm going to pass this one exam. But you need to understand that it's a much simpler exam. There's literally only one question, only one question on the exam, whether you're going to get there. And the question is, do you know God? 
And then as we think about it, we need to understand it's not just, do you know, a God or a supreme being, a, a person that's much more powerful than you. It says, it goes on, it says, those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's great debate about, you know, who really put Jesus on the cross? Was it, was it the, the Jewish leaders and the crowd that were yelling out, crucify him? Is the blame on Rome? You know, really, the, the blame could, could be spread around. It's, it's anyone who's, who chooses to, to, to not acknowledge why he came to, to pay the penalty for our sins and feel we're good enough on our own. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You could describe probably hell in its most graphic way simply to say this. Not only is it everlasting punishment, and the idea here is it's, it's ongoing, but it's ongoing from the presence of God. See, we live in a, in a world now, whether you believe in God or not, you experience the blessings of God. If you believe at all how the Bible paints the picture, everything that we see was created by God, every good thing. In fact, everything that, that is good in our life comes from above. And, and whether we are followers of yours or not, we get to experience the same sunset. We get to go up into the mountains and see the beauty of all that's around us. We can experience loving relationships with people that care about us. But where does that come from? It comes from a God who cares about us. But once we are in a place where the presence of God is no longer, all of that will be gone. Hell is a place in which people will be forever away from the presence of God, which is the presence of anything good and beautiful and the experience of anything that's worth living. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, for, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. This is punishment from God. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Jesus put it this way. You don't fear people who can just take the body. Fear the one who could take not only the body, but destroy the soul in that place of judgment. And the word destruction here does not mean bringing out of existence. It means the idea of ruination. You will be ruined forever. This is why Jesus came. He came to save us. And this, this is the best news that somehow we can not go to that kind of place. And make it as simple as possible. It's not, it's not based on are you somehow a little bit better than somebody else who's going to go there. It's based on a gift that he can give and only he can give. What is hell? It's a place of everlasting punishment from the presence of God. Hell is also described very plainly and clearly as a place of agony and torment. And let me, let me just, again, be really clear. Sometimes people, as they read the Bible, think that, that the God was the bad cop in the Old Testament, God's the, the good cop in the New Testament. God is a God of judgment in the Old Testament, God of, God of uh, love and forgiveness and mercy in the New Testament. And let me tell you, God is both those in both places. And one of the ways we, we know that, Jesus, who came to express his love and, and give hope and, and give the opportunity to respond and, and receive life not only forever, but life full and meaningful now. We experience life now when we come to Jesus. But let, let's be honest. If you were to look at the scriptures, you'd find out that Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. 
In fact, if you add up the verses, actually, he, he spoke more about hell than not only any other person in the Bible, but all the other people combined. And we're not going to go through all of the references here, but Jesus, he wanted desperately for people not to go there because it's going to pl- be a place of agony and torment. One description in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, he says, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter, outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, some people, some people somehow get the idea that you know, I don't mind going to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. It's going to be a great party in heaven and in hell. That's not how Jesus describes hell. It's going to be a place of outer darkness. You know, what is darkness? Darkness is simply the absence of light. And we'll say, well, so what is outer darkness? Outer darkness is the farthest distance away from any source of light. There, well, if you've ever been here, you've heard I, I have a tendency to get lost fairly easily. Is that? But you know, I, you know, some of you've heard my some of my stories. Some of you haven't heard all of my stories. But there were a time where I where I, I got, I got lost. Uh, actually, when I was in my twenties, and, and I and I went up to the top of the hill, got to the top of the hill, and then I started to come down. And, and there was all these people in campgrounds, and there were fires and lights and all kind of like that. But once I started coming down, I could not see a source of light. And now I was in darkness. Now I wasn't all alone. And now I didn't know where to go next. That's what hell's going to be. Outer darkness. As far as you can imagine from the source of light. And it won't be party on. The Bible describes it. There will be weeping. There will be laughter. There will be weeping. That people will be so tormented, they'll be grinding their teeth. In the last book of the Bible, it, it describes it this way. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. This is, this is where that fire and brimstone in hell comes. Fire and brimstone in the presence of angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have, another scripture in heaven, no rest day or night. We live in a, in a day now where, where you know, stress is, is probably one, one of the number one killers of people or destruction of fullness of life. And for some of you, all, all you look forward to is the next day off. Isn't that true? You know, we, we don't necessarily celebrate Monday, but we do celebrate what? Friday. God, it's Friday. The weekend's coming. I'll get some kind of rest. And hell, there'll be no rest. Doesn't matter what work schedule you're on, whether you're on regular shift, grave shift, or, you know, day or night, there's no rest. And what's brimstone? It's that horrific sulfur smell. And really, if we wanted to dissect hell, we could look at every sense the five senses that God has given us. And God attacks our experience as he portrays hell in every one of those senses. Because hell will be a place not only of everlasting punishment from the presence of God, it will be a place of agony and torment. Dante wrote this about hell. Abandon hope all who enter here. 
hell is also a place of imprisonment. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot. And he describes it in ways we've already looked at. You know, why do you bind somebody? <laughs> you bind them to restrict their freedom. And hell's going to be a place where there is no freedom. You know, sometimes, uh, again, people think, well, I, if I go to that place where everybody else is at that I know, that's, how, how bad can it be? Is that how people describe prisons, even in our day? You know, most people want to get out of prison. They don't want to get into it. And, and our prisons really don't have a whole lot. I mean, it was, I mean, they have a lot more going for it. I mean, cable TV, you know, recreational opportunities. Uh, even you can get your law degree while you're in uh, imprisonment. You get three square meals. You get showers. This is, this, is not, this is not the imprisonment of hell. No one need go there. And what kind of people will populate hell? This is, this is the byproduct of hell. But the cowardly, the unbelievable, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns forever. The Bible describes hell as not a place where everyone will receive the same degree of punishment. But everyone who goes there will just cry out, wishing they had never been sent there. And that's the final point I want to make about hell. Hell is a place where you don't want to live. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said this, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The picture, the word picture that God gave the Jewish people of hell was the, the place of Gehenna, which was the, the garbage dump outside the city. And this garbage dump outside the city, they, they had a continual fire. And, and you know, fire will consume some things, but some things it just it just destroys, it ruins. I mean, it, you can't necessarily burn it up, it just continues. And in that garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, there are maggots everywhere. And the description here, the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. This is a place no one needs to go and needs to realize. This is above all, anything and everything you do, you make sure you don't go there. How can you know? The Bible says... Anyone not written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You need to make sure you're in the book of life. Did you see that movie Gravity? I saw the movie Gravity, and you got Sandra Bullock uh, kind of taking on the, the main role of that, and you know she's trying to find her way back, you know, to Earth, and she's in this, you know, hurtling thing down through our atmosphere, and, and she begins to realize that you know it's quite possible she might not make it, and throughout the whole film, that's what you're, you're experiencing. She's not going to make it. And she, she has an interesting conversation with her. It just kind of struck me. She says, you know, if she begins to realize that she's probably going to die, she says, you know, if I die, no one's going to mourn for me. No one's missing me. 
here's a person who accomplished so much. I mean, she, she was Dr. Ryan Scott, an astronaut flying through space. In the midst of all of it, she comes and realizes, if I die, what's next? No one's praying for me. And, this is, and I, I don't even know how to pray because no one taught me how to pray. And then as she's hurtling through, she's trying to talk to the, the people down, you know, the, whatever NASA had. And, and she goes, she goes, and she starts communicating a message, and she realizes she's not going to get through. And she goes, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be a hell of a ride. And she goes through this atmosphere in which it's burning, and she's wondering if she's going to make it. And here a person who obviously didn't have any relationship with God, and when she somehow hit the ground and, and she just saw, the, you know, grabbed the earth, she, she said, thank you. Thank you, thank you. But here's a person, obviously, who did not know who she was thanking because she had no relationship with the one who just spared her life. At the end of the service, we're, we're going to give you an opportunity to make sure you know. B- because whether you believe something or not doesn't have anything to do whether something is a reality. Isn't that true? Uh, there's all kinds of things I might not believe and find out later what. That was actually something that was true. And you can choose not to believe that hell is real, but if hell is real, your non-belief will do you no good at the end of your life. I was, I was telling some people just recently, a couple weeks ago, I, we had, I had a, this man come to our church and advanced in years, and he was, he was bringing Bibles and religious literature and wanted to donate to our library. And there was just something about him was different. I'm thinking, what in the world? And so we got in a conversation, and I don't necessarily jump on people every time I meet them, but, you know, I said, well, why are you donating all this stuff here? Do you go to church anywhere? I knew he didn't come here. He said, well, no, I don't go to church. I said, well, why not? Well, I don't believe in that stuff. And I said, well, I said, you know, there is a heaven and a hell. He says, I don't care. Someone has to populate hell. Don't be like that man. You make sure you know where you're going. Jesus saves. He saves us from something. He saves us from the punishment, everlasting punishment, from the presence of God. That's why Jesus came. But he not only saved us from, he saves us too. And I'm going to take the last half and do it in five minutes, all right? (laughs) He saved us too. He saved us to heaven. And heaven is almost, you could just say, it's the exact opposite of that place of judgment. Jesus saves us to heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is a place filled with the awesome presence of God. That, that's what, you, all you have to do is remember that everything good is now going to be magnified and multiplied because God will, in an unrelenting way, unfold the blessings that he has created for those who know and love him. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples when they were worried about death. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be confused. Don't be, uh, you know, agitated. Don't be shaken about what might happen next. You believe in God, believe also in me. And, you know, they, they believe in God generally, and they were, had more revelation about God than anyone else. But you need to believe in the one who fully manifests God because God has become flesh. And now let me tell you about heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I want you to know there's a reservation. You better send it out ahead. 
Then if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, what? There you may be also. Let me tell you, the, the experience of those who followed Jesus in that day, and they had the opportunity to, to, to walk, you know, step by step with God in the flesh. I mean, their, their life was filled with so much. And, and as they began hearing about Jesus taking off, they said, no, that can't be. In fact, Peter, you know, put his foot in his mouth again and tried to keep Jesus from doing this. Because and, and, they could not imagine life without Jesus once they experienced Jesus. And then Jesus said, look, I want you to understand, this is not just for a few years. Because the best day ever is coming. And then the best days ever will come. And the best way I can describe it is that where I am, there you're going to be also. That's, that's heaven. It doesn't get any better than this. And that's the same thing that, that God reveals in the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with me, and he will dwell with me, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Some of your best day ever are, are special times with family and friends. Maybe you've gone on a vacation together. Maybe you've gone camping together. If you, if you don't enjoy camping, then just come with me this summer and you'll get enjoy camping. But anyway, is it, you know, camping is, is a great time because you're just with people. You know, the word he's going to tabernacle with them really literally means he pitches his tent with people. One thing about camping, I, I really applaud it for, for people who have kids because you spend not only uh, quality time but quantity of time with kids you know, when you're in a tent. I mean, you, I mean just, you're just there together. And that's what heaven is. We're going to be in the presence of the living God. Exact opposite in that place which he's reserved for judgment for those who, who do not believe God, don't know God, and don't obey the gospel, accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, heaven is a place where there are no tears, no sorrows, and no pain. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Well, one of the things that trip a lot of people up is they, is they look at life now and say, well, if God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, why does he allow so much suffering? Why does he allow so much evil? And on both of those counts, God says, look, it, it's not a matter that I, I'm, I'm not doing anything about it. It's, it's, it's the issue of when I'm going to do it. There is going to be a, a, a time when all the sorrows, all that pain, all that unfairness that you experience. And some of you are going through that right now in, in just intense ways. We all go through it. But there are times where people go through intense times where you just want to shake your fist at God. God, why? And God says that this is a fallen world, but there's going to be a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth. Then all the tears, then all the sorrow, then all the pain will be gone. And all the evil that you see, it will be judged. But it's in that time in which those will experience the fullness of heaven. What is heaven? It's a place where the presence of God is. It's that place where there are no tears, there are no sorrow, there is no pain. Heaven is a place where you'll, you will like what you're doing and who you're doing with. Some, I had to throw this in because sometimes people think of heaven and go, Boring. You know, I, I, what am I going to get up there on the, on the edge of a cloud and I'm going to be playing a harp? I'm going to sing. I don't even like to sing here. I'm going to have to sing throughout eternity. You know, I don't play an instrument and, you know, I can't keep a beat. I can't, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. What am I going to be doing in heaven? I mean, what is it? 
And the other extreme, some people have a Rip Van Winkle approach to heaven. They think, when I get to heaven, like Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling said, he says, you know, when you get up to heaven, there's just going to be eons and eons of, of sleep. You won't even sleep for the first half of eternity. Look at heaven's going to be a place where you're going to have something to do. And it's going to be in, those, in, in that place of, that you do the best in. You, you, you know, often we get so much joy when we do, do something that we're good at. Our job well done. When, when we contribute to something. And heaven's going to be that kind of place where we're serving God. And when we're serving God with the people that really matter. Uh, I'm one of those people who always wake up early in the morning. And, you know, I, like I'm hitting the pavement running kind of thing. And, and, and then I'm around with other people. And, and they say, will you just slow down? You know, and people energize. People I like to be around with energize me. There are other people who don't energize me. But there are other people who energize me. When you're in heaven, you're going to be energized by people you really care about. And you say, I just like hanging with them. In fact, the Bible even says that when we get to heaven, we're going to be judging angels, which means we're going to be ruling over them. And that's pretty heady stuff. And then finally, heaven is a place where you want to make sure you're there. That, that you're living in the presence of God. I took six minutes, and now I have two minutes to do what I want to do at the end. I hope you got the point. I, I, I don't want you to go to one place, and I want you to go to another. I want you to be saved from hell, and I want you to be saved to heaven. Well, how do you get in on that? Well, let me make it as simple as possible. And that's those three letters, ABCs. You ever heard your ABCs? Let me give you the ABCs of the gospel. Number one, you got to admit your need. No one gets to heaven unless they realize they got to get there. No one keeps out of hell unless they realize they've got to get out of hell. And what keeps us from hell is those things that, that, that are wrong in our life, and we want to turn for that. God, I don't want to control my life. I want you to control it. Admit your need and turn from your sin. B, you've got to believe, which means you're, you're, you're convinced this is true, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins on the cross and rose again. And then C, commit. You've got to make a commitment. You've got to make a decision. A lifelong decision to follow Jesus as your Lord, which means he's the leader of your life. He's your God. He's the supreme being. He's the Savior. He rescues you from hell and, res and rescues you to heaven. For some of you this morning, you, you, might, you might be that proverbial person who has heard this a million times. But you've never made that, 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 that point of commitment to him. Where you admit your need, you believe that he paid the price on the cross for your sins and rose again, and then you make that commitment to follow him. I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable. But if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven and you're not going to the place of judgment, hell, or if you have never made a public profession of your faith to say, I'm unashamedly a follower of Jesus Christ, but would like to today, I would like you to stand up and simply say, I commit. I commit to Jesus as my Lord, God, and Savior, and I'm unashamed to be known as a follower of His. If you'd like to know for sure where you're going to go for eternity, or you want to make a public profession of your faith, I'd like you just to simply stand right now and say, I commit.
God is simply looking for people who really want to make a bold commitment to him. You may be seated. Uh, as, as, a leader, as a worship team comes up, uh, we, we mentioned earlier in the service, if you'd like uh, to be baptized, maybe you've never been baptized as a believer for Jesus Christ. You've never made a, that demonstration of faith by following the Lord in the waters of baptism. Uh, Brandon's going to come to my left, uh, your right, and just be at that door. And you can simply just go to, to Brandon. And he'll, uh, the water is uh, already warmed and uh, prepared. And uh, we have some T-shirts and, and shorts for you to get into. But if you'd like to make a public profession of your faith as a believer through baptism, then we invite you to come as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for just, just the truth that, that this is the best news because we don't have to experience the worst news. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.